by telling you about two books that have been memorable for me. I want to focus not so much on the books themselves, but on two specific passages from those books. The first passage comes from Barbara Kingsolver's celebrated novel, The Poisonwood Bible. The second from Parker Palmer's much-cited spiritual memoir, Let Your Life Speak. You follow that? Two different books, two different passages. Okay, so here we go. In the Poisonwood Bible, a Baptist minister named Nathan Price picks his family up and moves them from rural Georgia to the African Congo, where he is determined that he will, quote, save Africa for Jesus. Now, there's much to be said about the ways that Nathan Price's evangelistic expectations are soon enough dashed against the rocks of a foreign culture resistant to Price and his message. But the reason I bring the Poisonwood Bible up this morning is simply to highlight a passage that takes place very early in the novel. In fact, just after the Prices have arrived in the Congo. In this passage, Nathan Price is aiming to plant vegetable seeds that he has brought with him from home, and he has just begun to square and row and plant his seeds the way that he's always done in his own garden back home in Georgia. He's just begun this work when suddenly, while he works, one of the locals, a woman named Mama Tataba, comes over and sees what he's doing, and warns him that the soil in which he's planting will be inhospitable to his seeds. What's more, she then tells him, he can't plant seeds directly in this kind of soil. Instead, given this type of soil, she explains, he will have to build mounds if he wants to plant anything. To which Nathan Price responds dismissively, and I quote, Mama Tataba, I have been planting and cultivating soil ever since I could walk behind my father. Well, shaking her head, Mama Tataba responds that it simply is not going to grow, and then she leaves. And Nathan Price keeps right on planting the seeds the way that he has always planted. Well, what happens, as you might have already predicted, is that sure enough, the plants do not grow. And thus, the scene becomes symbolic for all that will follow in the novel concerning Reverend Price's missionary endeavors in the Congo. Rather than care for the indigenous soil before him, that is, rather than be sensitive to the environment he has entered, and first try to understand it and work with it on its own terms. Rather than that, Price instead tries to run roughshod over the cultural DNA, and he thereby fails as spectacularly as a missionary as he does as a gardener. Again, the novel is called The Poisonwood Bible, and it's a great book, and I encourage you to read it. And that's story number one. Now on to story number two. In Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, 
Palmer, an accomplished academic and Christian leader, reflects on the development of his own spiritual maturity. And in the book, he explains how an integral part of his spiritual maturation process took place when he finally began listening for who God had designed him to be, rather than trying to first conform himself to the template of other well-known Christian leaders whom he admired. For in Palmer's words, he had spent a significant amount of time trying to emulate the deeds and accomplishments of others rather than being mindful of doing and being what and who God had called him particularly to do and to be. And so it is, he writes, and I quote, I had heroes at the time who seemed to be living the true Christian life, and so I set out to live like them, like Martin Luther King Jr., or Rosa Parks, or Mahatma Gandhi, or Dorothy Day. That is, I set out to live a life of high purpose, he writes. The results, he then goes on to say, quote, were rarely admirable, often laughable, and sometimes grotesque, but always they were unreal, a distortion of my true self, as must be the case when one lives from the outside in rather than the inside out. And he then concludes by saying, I had simply found a noble way to live that was not my own, a life spent imitating heroes instead of listening to my heart. Two different stories, two different books, two different people pursuing two very different ends, both of them learning the same hard lesson. A lesson, it just so happens, that sits at the very center of our gospel lesson for today. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells his disciples his first parable. And it's a parable about soil. And about what soil ultimately yields when it is properly cultivated. And about what it ultimately yields when it is not. And while this is the only parable in Mark's gospel that Jesus himself later goes on to explain... One of the things that Jesus' explanation takes for granted, but that we as readers and interpreters often tend to overlook, is the given condition of the soil for future growth. That is to say, we tend to read right past Jesus' words about, quote, the depth of soil, and straightway, begin to think about the birds that snatch the seed or about the sun that scorches the plant or about the thorns and the thistles that choke the growth or perhaps even more often than thinking about these, we straightway begin thinking about the fully matured plant that does grow to fullness 
of what that looks like, of what that might look like for us, and of how desirable that state of being will be. Which is all to say we have a tendency of reading this parable and of beginning to think about all of the things that might stymie our spiritual growth and or beginning to think about what a state of spiritual maturity might ultimately look like for us without first stopping to think about what kind of soil we will be growing our spiritual lives in in the first place. Does that make any sense? Instead of starting with a focus on the givenness of our own soil, that is, on who we are, on our own given talents and temperaments and dispositions and circumstances, on our own proneness toward the various fruits of the Spirit, on how much we have been and how well we have been cultivating these things. Instead of that, instead of beginning there, we too often begin with a focus on either the obstacles to our desired growth or a picture of our desired growth and on what that will look like come its fullness. And thus, in short, instead of beginning by first cultivating the soil, we instead begin by rushing headlong toward various ends that we perceive as being desirable. And this, it's important to note, takes place in us as Christians at both an individual and a communal level. For just as we as individuals have spiritual goals and aspirations for ourselves, so too do we as Christian communities have spiritual goals and aspirations for ourselves. So soil cultivation, it's vital to note, when we're speaking in these figurative terms, must be the first step of any hoped-for spiritual growth both for us as individuals and also for us as Christian communities. If we don't begin with a focus on the soil, the impediments and the hoped-for final state don't so much matter. Leading me back to the Poisonwood Bible and the Parker Palmer book. What those two stories have in common is this. Both Nathan Price and Parker Palmer began with a concrete picture of how they thought growth was supposed to and would take place. Both began with a concrete picture of where they were headed and of how they were going to get there. Rather than first focusing on the givenness of the soil they were working with, and Price's circumstance on the literal soil of the African Congo, and Palmer's circumstance on the figurative soil of his own God-given nature, rather than first focusing on the givenness of the soil, they instead rushed headlong into trying to force from the soil 
a final product that was either resistant to or not yet prepared for the specific things they were aiming to grow from it. They both knew what they wanted, but neither gave any prior consideration to the conditions necessary for growing what they wanted. And thus they both watched in dismay when that which they were aiming to grow was suddenly scorched and strangled and choked up by the inhospitable soil in which their aims had been planted. Do you follow? It's not that either of them had intrinsically bad aims in mind. It's simply that both were so preoccupied with their final aim and with what might get in its way that they failed to first remember and care for and honor the ground from which they were aiming. Some seed fell on rocky ground, Jesus writes, or says, and Mark writes. Some seed fell on rocky ground, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. But then the sun rose and it was scorched. And since it had no root, it then withered away. It sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. But then the sun rose and it was scorched. And since it had no root, it just withered away. Dear family, there is so much to be learned in our present moment from just this one simple verse. For we live in a culture of immediate gratification. Culture in which we want things, all things, to, quote, spring up quickly. Culture in which we are gluttonous for the immediacy of all things. And this, it's important that we recognize, holds equally true of our spiritual lives as it does of our material lives. For like Nathan Price and like Parker Palmer, when it comes to our spiritual lives, that is, when it comes to our aims as Christian disciples, many of us know what we want and we know what it ought to look like and we know how we ought to go about achieving it now. Which is to say, like Burger King Whoppers, we want our Christian discipleship our way right away. And again, this holds true both for what we want for ourselves as individuals, as well as what we want for our communities. Whether individually or communally, we can't as Christians begin with a ready-made aim for spiritual maturity and then think we can arrive there just by force of our sincere desire. It simply won't and can't work that way. Because that's not how gardening works. 
Instead, we have to begin by caring for the unique soil that God has entrusted to us. That is, we must begin by being mindful of our given conditions, both as individuals and as communities, and then from there, cultivate the soil while listening carefully for what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. That's how gardening works. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of Master Gardener Karel Chapek. In his memoir, The Gardener's Year, he, a master gardener, writes about this very thing we're discussing. And he says, and I quote, While I was only a remote and distracted onlooker of the accomplished work of gardens, I considered gardeners to be beings of a peculiarly poetic and gentle mind who cultivate perfumes of flowers while listening to the birds singing. Now, as a master gardener myself, when I look at the affair more closely, now I find that a real gardener is not a man who cultivates flowers, the finished product, Instead, I find he is a man who cultivates the soil. Listen to that last line again. I find that a real gardener is not a person who cultivates flowers. Again, not a person who just makes the final product happen. Instead, he or she is a person, I find, who cultivates the soil. Dear family, underneath the other important spiritual lessons that Jesus is teaching in this parable in Mark chapter 4, underneath all of that, here is the bedrock lesson. A disciple is not a person who cultivates a specific spiritual end. Instead, a disciple is someone who cultivates the soil of his or her or their own spiritual life and then trusts that God will lead them toward the proper ends for which God has and is calling them. Nathan Price, unfortunately, never learned this lesson in the Poisonwood Bible. Parker Palmer and Let Your Life Speak fortunately did. Would that we, in both our individual lives and also our communal life here at Boulevard, would that we be more like Parker Palmer than Nathan Price? Which is to say, would that we'd learn this lesson too? Let us learn to be less immediately concerned with what we might do and become increasingly more concerned simply with who we might be. Trusting all the while that who we are and who we become 
will inevitably give shape and form to any substantive and authentic things that we might begin to do. Which is to say, rather than predetermine what we think might demonstrate spiritual maturity in our lives, and then immediately set forth to bring that vision about, Instead of that, let us first simply commit ourselves to being a little more loving, a little more joyful, a little more patient, just a little kinder, a little more generous, just a little gentler, a little more faithful, just a little more self-controlled. Before anything else, let us first cultivate that soil, which is to say our own spiritual soil. For according to Scripture, it is the depth of soil that determines true Christian growth. Not the final form that the Christian hopes he or she might grow into. And according to Jesus, it is the depth of soil that determines whether something springs up quickly but then withers away, or whether it instead increases and ultimately yields 100-fold. Dear family, as Jesus says, let those of us with ears to hear, hear. Amen.